You are listening to Service Course by The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. It's a nice mug you've got there, Lizzie. Excellent stuff. Um, that's a nice, that's a very informal start, wasn't it? I'm with Lizzie Banks. We're just comparing cycling podcast mugs across a Zoom call. How you doing, Lizzie? I'm very good, thank you, Tom. Um, I've actually got a collection of three now, which is is really, really nice because I had my original one, my Giro one, which was given to me by Richard Moore um, at the Cycling Podcast Live in Manchester, which was actually the last time we saw each other in person, Tom. Can you believe that? Shocking, isn't it? That was the last time I saw anyone connected with Anyone. <laughs> last in, time I saw a in, single in human in person. Yeah. I think it was yeah. the last time I went out. And um, that mug, I tragically smashed it in 2021 when i had a yeah. concussion i've and been there yeah 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 but heartbroken but i have glued oh. it back together and it's now a toothbrush holder stacy <laughs> snyder very kindly sent me uh, a pink and a yellow one and now i have this beautiful uh one with the added buffalo motif um from from stacy court- courtesy of orla chenry oh so, you've got the feminine one yeah i want one of I those have indeed. very nice yeah. Um, well, Lizzie, listen, uh, it's, it's great to be back together. I want to talk in a minute. You, you are much closer to um, being a pro cyclist <laughs> than, <laughs> uh, than in the past. Uh, but before we get on to that, I, um, I just want to say thanks to everybody, basically. I've had, over the last few weeks, I have had so many messages from uh, listeners about the Ecos series that Lionel and Simon um made i i was lucky enough to produce it i've had so many wonderful kind messages from people who have been enjoying it and i just want to say thanks it's been an absolute pleasure um to do it and i know lionel's um really really proud of it um yeah but I'm, I'm just so glad it's out in the world and i know you enjoyed it as well lizzie didn't you yeah it's been an absolutely phenomenal series and i think that it's so important to have the story but the production is it's just it's such a beautiful production and the way that the music and the story is all linked together and the way that you've picked out the right bits of the story to link them up is is just beautiful um and i have to say i i'm not really a podcast listener and i've just absolutely devoured these um but i'd love to know a bit more about how you how you put it together where do you get the inspiration for for the music um for all of these beautiful links everything that makes it so whimsical and that transports you to this beautiful place in scotland where the clouds suddenly changing and (laughs) and you're hearing bagpipes everywhere (laughs) i mean well i mean a lot of that is i mean a lot of it is is quite simple, really. It comes down actually. Before I get onto that, I should say that we are going to do a full Ecos debrief with Lionel and Simon for our next episode because there have been a few emails for people, you know, wanting to know how they did it, the kit they took, that sort of stuff. So we're going to get under the skin of bike slacking. I think uh, is the the title that they've uh, they've come up with. But in terms of making the the show, um, it all started back in twenty twenty one before. Well, when, you know, Lionel and Simon had initially uh, gone to do the ride and, and we know what happened there. And we, we know that that Lionel had, um, you know, had a bit of a crisis and, and couldn't do it. And, and I was so pleased that he was able to go back and do it. But back then, um, you know, Lionel talked about, oh, it's about football grounds. And so I you know, in, initially thought of the grandstand, you know, the, the final the final score being read out. And um, that was the starting point, really, with a bit of um, bit of folk music, because that sort of 
feels Scottish. And we, and we made that in 2021 and it, and we just sort of sat on it and then when Lionel was due to go back we sort of resurrected that and I mean luckily I've been I mean this is very boring it's a very you know very dry answer but I've got a, access to a, a music library that I use and um you know under if you search for Scotland there's a lot of stuff obviously there's the kind of on the nose bagpipey bits but there is a lot of you know Celtic sort of folky mm. guitar stuff and that just sort of became the motif and then as we were making it um, I started to discover that a lot of the football clubs had sort of folky type songs um, associated with them and I just sort of started researching those really and I, for me it's funny actually some of those songs I've got no affiliation with any of those clubs some of those songs brought a tear to my eye. It was mm. um, they were they were they were genuinely beautiful. And then you know credit to Lionel and Simon because I think one of the hard things when you're doing a ride like that there are, there are some days where you actually don't want to pick up the mic. And they did. They they recorded everything. There was so. I mean, I have spent the last few weeks. I have listened to. I mean, what was it? There's about 15 hours worth of stuff that's gone out on the feed. There's loads that I've listened to that didn't make the feed. So I mean, I have listened to about. 20 hours of lying or just just going for a bike ride but it but you know what I mean Lionel said to me when he when he made it he, I think Lionel lacked a little bit of confidence in it at times but I, I I've said and I said this since 2021 that it was going to be one of the best things he's ever done and um and it was I mean I remember the Lionel of Flanders uh series that we made mm. back in the day and when Lionel went also when he went out to early age past on the age and, you know, they were great. And it was just, you know, Lionel mucking about with his bike, really. Yeah, <laughs> and, and Lionel's such an exceptional storyteller. Yes. That, you know, that's the, that's the heart of it, really. And yeah. then when you put excellent production on top. And I think the, the, the amazing thing is that, you know, particularly in episode three, really, you know, you could go from sitting there weeping, being overcome with emotion to the next minute, laughing with a face still full of tears and I think that was what was really so beautiful about it all um and and the ability for it to transport you to Scotland through the music and, and the description of the place as well yeah I mean I felt I mean I listen I've, I've lived in Edinburgh for for about three or four months and that's my my experience of Scotland pretty much and uh, but I did you know I did sort of feel like I was I was discovering the place with them. It was uh, it was so very um, just so so very very vivid. But he's you know I mean one of the things I think with podcasting. I mean we're supposed we are supposed to talk about cycling, but one of the things with podcasting is um it's it's very intimate. And I think we sometimes lose sight of the fact that people listen to us, and you almost become a friend mm. to them. You become part of their family and sort of stuff. And that's why you can happily spend so much time just in Lionel and Simon's company, you know, whatever they're doing, whether they're going to a football match, you know, drinking iron brew, whatever. It's just, um, it's nice to be in that company. And I mean, the other thing we've got to say, it's it's been a lovely way to be reminded of and to remember Richard. And I felt, um, I felt a, a degree of connection to Richard that I've wanted to feel. And I've also felt, um, just it's just a sort of a healing uh, process, and I hope that kind of came across. It certainly came across to you know what Lionel and Simon were saying, but um, just across the series, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely and I know, and I've said this to Lionel, it's exactly the type of show where Rich would have texted you or messaged you and said, 
I love that. And it, mm. and that would have really been genuine and would have meant something. So, yeah. I think that, that strength of connection of feeling like somebody in a podcast is your friend was really highlighted with the loss of Richard. And of course, we saw the outpouring of emotion, you know, across the media uh, and the number of the Cycling Podcast listeners who... Um, felt like they'd lost a friend and perhaps their family members didn't quite understand the grief that they were going through because they felt so close to him because they've been listening to his voice in their ears every week, every day sometimes for years and years and feel like they know him so, so intimately. And and it's an incredible space to be able to to yeah tell a story and to to remind everybody of, you know, the importance of somebody in our lives and yeah, and it was just so beautifully produced and, and that brought it all together. So thank you, Tom. It was it was very beautiful to listen to. Well, th- thank you very much. And I say it's been, it's a, you know, I'm only as good as the audio I, I get given. And luckily at the moment I'm getting given, you know, aside from the Cycling Podcast, I'm, I'm working on a few other things as well. I just, I just um, the last month has been very, very, very draining creatively, very, very busy um, I mean, but I, hopefully I, very yeah. rewarding. Yeah, if you just check my Twitter feed, um, you know, if you want to have a look at some of the other stuff I've, I've been, I've just been so busy. But yeah, it's 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 been a real, been a real real privilege, and I'm looking forward to uh, to us doing it again as well. There are there is we'll talk about this with Lionel when we see him uh, in the next episode. But there is talk of another series and another series beyond that. So there's a few other. Trips how much how much Lionel can you handle well I think we might have to have the uh the full uncut Tour de Cos in 2023 but in the meantime I think it might be January before we uh before we get this episode out because mm. we've we've called their press officers um <laughs> and we are trying to nail them down but they are very much in demand um of course we've got the winner and the second place rider at the Tour de Cos uh everybody wants a piece of them but we're going to try and nail them down in person during the christmas period go for a ride with them um we'll try and get one of us to puncture simon can change it um and i'm sure we'll spend a lot of time in the cafe <laughs> and yeah. we'll hopefully be able to bring you a bit of a breakdown of the tour de cost tech time no, really, service course I'm, I'm really looking forward to going to not watford it's, it's actually one of my old stomping grounds around there when i used to used to, used to live in london I used to ride around there a lot so yeah i'm looking forward to that but lizzie uh, before we get into um what the interview that you've done i just wanted to just catch up with you um I, I said at the top of the episode that you were much more in pro cyclist mode than i've seen you for a long long time um training camp <laughs> thanks, coming, thanks for emphasizing going. how long it's been tom <laughs> well <laughs> it's been almost as long as the tour de course i think um uh, yeah but where, where are you at then lizzie tell us well, I'm actually, well, by the magic of podcasting, when you listen to this and when this goes out, I'm probably going to be on the way to the US, wow. um, which is very exciting uh, because in a couple of weeks, I've got uh, our our first camp for the 2023 season, uh, media camp over in um, California in Silicon Valley, where two of our two of our sponsors are based, Tibco and Silicon Valley Bank, of course. Um, and I'm heading out for a week and a half before that to go and see a friend over there, go and do some training over there. And... I'm back on the bike and well I'm just <laughs> I'm I'm yeah I'm a professional cyclist again for all intents and purposes actually training again and um very happy to say that I can finally increase my training steadily um both in duration and in in the heart rate that I can ride uh, after well 8 months really with pericarditis um it's been a it's been a pretty bumpy road. It's been a really, really difficult road. I mean, I 
I still don't really know how it's going to go from here. I'm trying to um, be careful so that I don't overdo it and risk um, recurrence of pericarditis, which is something that's uh, quite common. Uh, and I had sort of multiple times during the last eight month period, I would think I was fine and then it would come back again. Um, I seem to be in the clear. I've been riding for about a month and a half now, um, steadily increasing things. But I mean, the, the main thing, you know, aside from any goals as a professional cyclist is it is just so good to be back on my bike we live just under the shadow of this big mountain in the edge of the Jura 1700 meters and you know every day I look out my door and I see this giant mountain and I've been wanting to get up it and finally last weekend we went for a walk up it and it's just it's just such a relief I can't describe how nice it is to be able to go and exercise again after not having been able to do so for such a long time but I mean the scale of the injury it's almost as if I've broken my leg I really haven't done any exercise for six months so I'm incredibly unfit and um you know my watts are measured in tens not in hundreds (laughs) but uh but they're steadily going up in tens each week at all each week as well and that in itself is really nice actually because I'd say normally you know you're, you're getting like one or two watts here and there um but now you know if you have a 10 watt increase every week or sometimes 20 watt it's um it's very encouraging. Well, I mean, it's ideal prep for the uh, Tour de Not Watford. Um, I don't, not I don't Watford. think that's going to strain you too much. I, I expect I've to done, take I've a solid third place on out of you, me and Lionel. Because, of course, Simon's going to be driving the broom wagon because he's got a broken leg. Broken his leg, yeah. Um, I mean, I was going to say, I, I haven't done a, on that front, I haven't done a bike ride that's been over an hour. Um, well, we'll be quite equally matched yeah, then. <laughs> probably, you know, I'm very good for an hour, you know, at, at <laughs> intervals. But beyond that, it's it, it's unknown, really. Well, I have absolutely no endurance, so I I can guarantee that exactly two hours, my glycogen stores run out, and I bonk quite spectacularly, and I usually end up lying on the floor and um, doing quite a lot of moaning. My friends can attest to this. So uh, as long as we as long as we don't go for more, for more than an hour or two hours between cafe stops, I think we'll be okay. Oh, the interesting thing though, on 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 that front, though, I mean, what you've been through is a little bit unprecedented, really. There isn't the knowledge, is there, to to no. know how to deal with these things? So you are you have kind of been fumbling around in the dark, really, trying to find mm. a way to get to get through this. So, I mean, what have you learned? Well, it's interesting actually, and I think I could do I could do probably a whole series of podcasts on it. And what I also have found, again, similarly to the concussion, is that there's not much information out there. And just can you by just sort start of... getting regular problems, Lizzie, that we have medical knowledge of? Like, I know that would be need. nice, wouldn't it? Just break a collarbone. I mean, I'd prefer to not break anything or have any more problems for the moment. But no, I mean, just by kind of posting my story, you know then you find out more people that have got it. And quite often when professional cyclists have an affliction, they disappear off the face of the earth um, because it can, you know, it can affect your career to tell people what's wrong with you. But I don't really believe in hiding things. I'm a very honest person. I believe in honesty and integrity. And I also believe that if you can share something and it can help others, then you should do that. Um, I think the problem is that, you know, pericarditis is a, a relatively common condition it's something that happens um you know it's very well known about very well documented but i would say pericarditis due to covid uh is is different it responds differently it reacts differently you have um different 
um, sort of medical biomarkers or in my case I had none you know that's what that was what was very confusing for people usually you go and you have a blood test and you your your CRP which is your marker of inflammation is very high mine wasn't at all yet I had uh, fluid all the way around my my heart which obviously had indicated that I'd had you know quite severe inflammation and I also had uh, two healing pleural effusions um, so you know fluid on both of my lungs which was also due to the inflammation from the COVID infection or post-COVID infection and so that that's the confusing thing all of my medical tests were relatively normal yet I had quite a complicated illness and I think that many many people with with sort of long COVID or COVID associated diseases are finding that their their tests say they're fine um but they are very much not fine. And, you know, I was so fatigued. I was so fatigued to the point where you you couldn't do something. And the fatigue that you feel with this is so different to the, the fatigue of being tired from being a bike rider. And, then, and it was funny, you know, after the first sort of couple of weeks of riding again, I, I said to my husband, like, I'm so tired. And he said, I actually find this really reassuring because sort of this is the, the, normal, the normal bike rider Lizzie coming back. Um, and it was such a completely different type of t- fatigue to the fatigue that I had when I was unwell. So, I mean, I've learned a huge amount about the illness. I've been in contact with a huge number of people uh, to, you know, kind of discuss about, you know, my experience with the illness. Um, I've read a lot about other people's experience with the illness. Um, And yeah, I mean, I I hope I've managed to help quite a few people as well. But uh, there's also a a huge component of autonomic nervous system dysfunction, which we we kind of spoke about a bit when we talked about um, concussion, which can, it can kind of you know it can change so many things it can give you headaches it can make you feel dizzy it can change your blood pressure um it can change your glucose regulation it can change your sleep your anxiety levels a lot of people struggle with that after covid um and it can also affect your heart rate which is thankfully the only thing that i'm still struggling with but actually before earlier in the illness i sort of got a whole host of these things and it's one of the reasons why people get brain fog so um but it is possible to manage it it's difficult but it's possible to manage it um and i've been sort of trying to manage it by dipping myself in very very cold water but uh yeah now that it's winter and i keep getting colds that's uh that's gone off the boil a bit but no it's uh it's been it's been one hell of a journey and i i hope that i'm at the at the beginning of a different journey and it's going to take a long time to get back to fitness i think it'll probably take you know four or five months i would imagine um but I really hope that this is the end and the beginning of something else. So, yeah. Shoot, shoot at the cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb PK, the voice of Radio Tour, and this is Lionel here to tell you that this episode of Service Course is sponsored by GCN Plus. Now, the cyclocross season is up and running. Well, it's up and running and riding, of course, because that is the nature of cyclocross. And you can catch all of the biggest races live on GCN+. They have all of the action from the men's and women's UCI Cyclocross World Cup, the Super Prestige Series, and the X2O Bad Cameras Trophy, live and ad-free all season long. With expert insight from the commentary team, which includes Marty McCrossan, former US National Cyclocross Champion Jeremy Powers, and multiple former British National Cyclocross Champion Helen Wyman. If you can't watch the races live as they happen, you can also catch up with full replays on demand. 
Now Tom Pidcock is back in cyclocross action already, but Matthew van der Poel makes his season's debut on November the 27th at the Hulst World Cup in the Netherlands. That will be live on GCN+. Wout van Aert will have to wait a little bit longer for his season's debut, but that will be live on GCN Plus 2, no doubt. You can enjoy all of the best live racing all year round. There's no off-season when it comes to GCN Plus because once the cyclocross and the track events wind down and the road season comes back, GCN Plus is your ultimate cycling destination, showing all of the biggest events live and on demand. And, of course, you can also explore the archive of incredible original cycling documentaries which are available on GCN+. There are over 140 films showing on demand and new releases are added every week. When it comes to the live racing, there are sometimes territory restrictions that apply, but you can check out the GCN Plus website to see what you can watch and when. All of our UK listeners can get 25% off an annual GCN Plus subscription by heading to gcn.eu slash cyclingpod. We'll put that website address in our show notes, but it's gcn.eu slash cyclingpod to get 25% off an annual GCN Plus subscription if you're based in the UK. Well, Lizzie, you were, we've just been talking about sort of resoluteness, I guess, and you were at... Um... Ruler Classic talking about that and that's where our um, our interview comes from right? Yes absolutely well as I'm sure some of you will remember a couple of years ago on the podcast around this time of year we had Henry Furness on. Now you might know his name because Henry Furness was one of the co-founders of Windy Miller and he's no longer part of Windy Miller because he's off doing other inventor extraordinaire things and two years ago he wanted to tell us all about his new project but he couldn't really tell us about his new project so he taught sort of told us around his new project now about two weeks before ruler i got a message from henry saying that his project was at the next stage and that not only did he want to tell me about it but how he wanted to tell me how the cycling podcast had actually played a role in the development of his project Now, Henry is a brilliant talker, so I think I'm just going to let him tell you all about it. Um, And we were sitting outside of Ruler on a very busy busy brick lane, so please bear with me with the background noise. Um, But hopefully it'll give you a little bit of the atmosphere of London's busy East End. Well, I am sat on brick lane just before we go into Ruler Live with Henry Furness. Now, Henry, you were on the podcast a couple of years ago. And you were telling us all about your idea that you couldn't quite tell us about. Um, 3D printing, lugs, and something about a new bike, but you just couldn't say anything yet. But that was actually the beginning of a cycling podcast love story, wasn't it? So do tell us what happened next. Yeah, it was. It really was. It sort of, you know, for starters, we're still pre-launch. So there's only so much we can say, but we can say a lot more. And it's been a really exciting journey. Um, but um, it really taught me the power of the podcast because um, our very small collective we had back then, really just two or three of us, is, has swollen to ten. And two of those came directly from people who listened to your podcast. Um, You're so welcome. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> and um, I'm both very significant. One was a, is an industrial designer. Um, and the other is uh, somebody who's come on board as a US partner now, uh, and especially with uh, the gravel scene, which is where we are going to launch first. It's huge in America, and um, to have a man on the ground there is amazing. 
Well, I didn't know that we were a dating service, so uh, anybody else wishing to be a, you know, be part of our tech dating service, please do reach out. So the next thing is, well, tell us what you've created because you couldn't tell us last time, but now you have a you have a product that you can tell us about. So what is it? Yes. Yeah, so um, we, uh, I think when we spoke to you last, um, it was lockdown. It was right at the beginning of lockdown, and we were experimenting with. 3D printing lugs in different materials, uh, some of which turned out to be like cheese, um, and some of which were a little bit better. Um, and as that project unfolded, I got talking to more people within my network that I'd got from what I did before in cycling with my previous brand, and um, was introduced to new people. and new people specifically within 3D printing um, and the project developed from there and fast forward to where we are now we've been prototyping we're making our first production prototype at the moment we're calling it the Christmas bike because it's uh, self-imposed deadline has to be ready before Christmas uh, and yeah very exciting well what actually is it we know you've got your 3D printed lugs but other than that, what what actually is your bike and what is it called? What's it called? What's well, it called and what is it? Oh, okay. So <laughs> we have a brand name which we'll, um, we'll put out there uh, in the spring next year, which is when we'll most likely launch. Um, and <laughs> keeping us... Keep- <laughs> <laughs> Keeping it under wraps yet again. We'll have to speak to you in another two years to find out the brand name. But okay, tell yeah, us. Yeah, well, hopefully sooner than that. Hopefully you'll uh, you'll you'll see that in the spring. Uh, all being well, um, but uh, we're launching with a gravel bike. That part's no secret. Um, we decided fairly early on to do that. Actually, not for the reasons people might think. We didn't do that because gravel's on the up and up, certainly in some countries. We actually did it because um, using a fairly new disruptive technology, certainly a technology that hasn't been democratised beyond federations, uh, we decided to go for gravel first because it's still not settled on standards really in gravel. No one really knows what a gravel bike is if you ask them. And if we did something with our first bike that was already very well defined, like an aero road bike, for example, we'd kind of be quite constrained by uh, by the sort of design processes that go into aero road bikes at the moment and the marketing expectations which you know in to a large degree is why a lot of aero road bikes look very similar I was just looking at a brand that's launching here at Ruler Live actually and I was thinking what a lovely bike but I was on the other hand I was thinking it it, it looks great looks amazing I'm sure it is amazing but it's another bike that looks like a specialized S-Works tarmac and how is it going to differentiate itself, differentiate itself from the rest of that market? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, th- that's a really big part of um, what we've been asking ourselves right from the beginning. You know, we don't want to just make something because we can. Um, so right from the beginning, we've been asking ourselves at every point in the process, what problem are we solving, both for ourselves as manufacturers and also for the customer? which in the end is really important because if you're not solving any problems for the customer, why would they buy one uh, over and above the gazillions of other bike brands that are out there? 
So, well, are you going to put your money where your mouth is then and tell us what is that problem you're solving? Are you 3D printing the whole bike? Uh, is it specific to the customer's requirements? What is the product that you're actually going to offer? Yeah, so we're not 3D printing the whole bike. Uh, you'll have seen a whole bike that was 3D printed uh, on the track recently, which Ghana uh, used to Much win success. the hour record. <laughs> yes. Uh, by one of our collective, I should add. Um, and... Uh, that bike, if you wanted to buy one, would be £75,000. So talking about solving customer problems, we'd have created a massive one if we you went know, to You know, actually, market. I think it was €75,000, so you might actually get it for about £65,000. Oh, okay, so I've just exaggerated grossly there. So it's only £65,000. <laughs> it's only £65,000, so mm. you can go out and buy one. And uh, no, no. But t- tell us, tell us, what, what does your bike actually offer the consumer? So for starters, we needed to get the price right. So... Um, any of those bikes that are made for federations if you look at the bikes on the track they can be around 60 uh, 30,000 pounds if you want a track bike that's made in this way there's other brands using similar technology or really really just one or two which are right at the very very tippy top end of premium and have very long wait times uh, which is another one of the things we needed to overcome so we are first taking that technology and finding a way to make frames in a scalable way so that we can democratize the price point, first of all, to a premium price point that's in line with other bike brands. Mm-hmm. But it's absolutely our journey to really try and own the voice of this technology based on the collective that we got and then democratize it further to a mid-range price point and then who knows further down the line 3d printing's just moving so fast it's so exciting and you know it almost i mean don't don't quote me exactly on this but it, it, it feels like it's practically getting twice as fast each year and the cost of 3D printing is, is reducing by half. I mean, that's probably an exaggeration, but it's moving very, very fast. And even things like experimenting with thermoplastics rather than using traditional carbon fibre is an area that's moving really fast too. And there are bike brands that are using it already. I, I think, personally, they're jumping the gun. It doesn't react well to high temperatures and things like that right now. Uh, which you know is a problem if you're riding a bike somewhere over 35 degrees or if you leave it in the back of the car but it's moving really fast and things like thermoplastics are exciting because we can use the same molds we we're using for our conventional carbon fiber and and so with with thermoplastic you would you'd be talking about using that for the whole frame would you if if that were a viable technology no we'd still just use it for the intersection so to answer one of your earlier questions we're just 3d printing lugs um, we're and, still... and what material are you using for that at the moment? So for the lugs, we are experimenting with both titanium and scandium alloy. Uh, we'll probably roll with the latter. Um, it's fairly new in, in for, for lugs using scandium alloy. It was, I, I think, first used by Airbus for 3D printing. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it just has a few qualities that work better for us in post-production of the lugs. Um, and no one's really done it before, which makes it quite exciting too. I say no one's done it before uh, when Ghana's entire uh, frame was made of scandium alloy, but the scalm alloy, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Scalm alloy. So you've got your scalm alloy lugs. Yes. And how does that transfer into having a, a sort of you know firstly a full bike secondly um a rapid process for the customer which is say something you say that you want to you know you want to avoid these long delays that you can get through bike shops you want to avoid the fact that um 
you know with a traditional bike it's it's designed and then it doesn't actually come to fruition in the bike shop for you know another year maybe so how is it that you can firstly get to that full bike from just the lugs what other materials are you using and then how do you actually reduce those supply chain um, delays um, or, or just well it's not really a delay just supply chain sort of uh, elongations that come yeah. with a traditional the traditional bike uh, yeah. manufacturing process yes yeah, so the, the, these are all really really good questions and you're squaring off a lot of our sort of uh, problem solving so we we really decided at the beginning that what we wanted to do was overcome what I call the antique supply chain which a lot of the industry has that's beyond their control so we're trying to think of how how do we create a better way to make and sell a bike um, so COVID obviously caused massive problems. We spoke at the beginning of COVID, and I think right then people didn't know if things were going to dive or boom, and they, things did boom. And, and the supply chain's always been really difficult in cycling anyway. It was, it was really bad before COVID, and COVID was just the final nail in the coffin, and it made it completely untenable. Um, so we figured first off, how can we get control of our, of our production process? So we're making everything here in the UK and it's not because we think the UK is necessarily a better place to make anything people make fantastic bikes in Italy and China but or, or wherever it is but you're still then beholden to shipping costs someone else handling your production um, and all of these things cause delays and uh, can cause problems with uh, quality control and all that sort of thing so uh, first off we're making everything here but just as a caveat to that i assume that doesn't mean you're only selling to the uk no so here's one of the other things so this isn't necessarily something that well it's sort of indirectly a customer benefit so as we globalize if we're lucky enough to globalize as as i mentioned before we've got a u.s partner now so we'll we'll launch both sides from the beginning as we grow in any particular country, because our fabrication process is, is very simple, that's taking your lugs and bonding them to the carbon fibre sections to, to fabricate the actual frame itself, we can do that anywhere. We can print lugs anywhere. We can mould our tubes anywhere because mm. it's not And so you're frames. making those tubes yourself as well? Yeah. So that, as we globalise, that production would be local. It would be regional within different countries, if that makes sense. So there would be no international shipping. So if we're selling lots of bikes in America, we'll make lots of bikes in America because the process is so simple. Um, and likewise, if we sold lots of bikes in Mexico, we'd make lots of bikes in Mexico, um, which makes the whole process much easier. There's a lot of shipping issues that are easier to overcome. It's more sustainable. Um, and uh, you can overcome those supply chain issues. So our, our sort of utopian situation to be in would be every bike, every colour, every size available every day. And of course, it would take a long time to get to there. And all of us are, you know, it's probably the wrong thing to say held hostage by, but we all have to use really the big three uh, component manufacturers and they're still playing catch up and I was about to ask the same thing because it's such it is such a problem with the supply chain and, and it's actually been almost one of the biggest problems with the supply chain after over the last couple of years throughout COVID. Um, you have been able to get a frame, maybe it's not the exact model or colour or whatever that you've wanted, but if you want to get your hands on a chain, 
you simply can't and you know you know you need a at the moment i assume you're going to need a, a bike with a chain unless you're uh, planning on planning on doing a direct drive yeah no that's <laughs> right and i i've almost felt uh well what's the right word it, i it, it's been a good thing for us that we've taken our time uh in production and doing all our r&d with this which has been one of the nicest things about this project we just haven't been in a rush so we've really been able to take our time and, and think, you know, how do we get this right? And all the while I've been thinking, thank God we're not in the market at the moment. Mm. Um, now you have people saying, you know, there's been an overproduction of parts. Soon the market will be saturated and everyone will be selling components uh, rock bottom because there'll be so much. Honestly, if that happens, I'll eat my underpants. I can't see it being easy to get components anytime soon. And, you know, if, if that was a thing, then great. You know, our, our business model is based on our frame and creating something that solves problems and enhances adventures through that. And obviously the components are secondary. We don't make them ourselves. But, you know, we, we are deep in the planning to make sure that we have availability of parts uh, as and when. Okay, so you've told me why why the bike uh, structurally is different, um, but how you know what will it offer to the consumer in terms of ride quality, geometry? You know, is it different to something you're just going to pick up off the shelf? Yeah. So, um, should... uh, I'm sorry. And what level of customization is there? Like, can you can you customize it, customize it to your needs, or is it you know customizable within a sort of set set boundary? Yeah, so we're using 3D printing so that we have a really versatile size range. Um, so what it means, traditionally you'd have your full custom frame where you measure someone up and every tube is cut to the size of the rider and you have a full custom bike or you've got an off-the-peg bike. We are creating, I suppose, a unique a, middle ground. Yeah, middle ground. Whereby the versatility we're able to offer in sizes negates the need for full custom yeah. but it also sidesteps any of the constraints that you might get from normal off the peg frames and that comes down to the agility of 3d printing because we're printing the lugs uh we have no tooling costs for the lugs we're printing into air basically so um we're able to very reactively make different sizes we won't do full custom but a, a good example i suppose is if you think of your sort of mammal who's absolutely set on getting the latest sort of pinarello uh no it's the bike he wants no one's going to talk him out of it he's going to get it even though the geometry is really racy and it's totally inappropriate for him we'll be able to have that bike that he wants but because we're 3d printing we'll be able to have three different variants of a size large for example so um, he'll still be able to get the bike he wants, but he'll be able to get the appropriate geometry. And that will still be viable for us. That's the key thing. And we'll still be able to make that quickly. And as we learn from the market, we'll be able to stockpile the right sizes. I mean, it is a problem. I mean, just on a, on a very simple scale, my, my husband was, you know, really between a, a 54 and a 56. And it was either one bike with a long stem or one one bike with a short stem. And so, you know, we went for the long stem because it's going to be slightly better handling than a frame that's too big with a short stem. But it's, it, you know, it's it doesn't seem like the biggest problem in the world, but it but it is a bit of a problem. And I found that myself with a lot of frames. Sometimes I'm sort of halfway between, a, you know, depending on the on the brand, 59, 49 and a 51. And you, you're just kind of having to make compromises. And so if you're able to minimise those 
gaps between the sizes and, and kind of work out what actually works for everybody, like you say, without actually running at a loss, then um, hopefully it should make people happier on the bike. Uh, you know, if if you fit if you fit the bike, if you're comfortable, then you're going to be happier and you're going to want to ride it more. Which, at the end of the day, from my point of view, is the main thing. I want to get more people on bikes. I want to get more people riding bikes and being happy. I know whilst I've been stuck off the bike for the last goodness knows how many months, it's been it's been difficult and I've been really unhappy. So for me, it's just about finding a bike that that makes you happy and uh, if it fits you better, it's going to make you happier. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, there's lots of other fringe benefits as well, because even with a full custom bike, you know, the, the, the sort of uh, the, the notion is that you're going to have a bike that fits you perfectly. And it's actually it's very easy to get a bike that fits you perfectly. But for somebody to design a bike that's going to have a great ride quality and handle really well is actually very, very difficult. So there'll be a lot of people out there on custom bikes that feel really comfortable but ride like an absolute pig. Those yeah. people probably don't realise because they've got no point of reference. But because all of our geometries are pre-designed uh, by our geometry designer, we know that they're all going to ride really nicely. Uh, so there's that assurance as well. And, and another great thing about 3D printing, when you look at the agility and the versatility of it, is we 3D print our fork crowns. So another great irony with custom bikes is that they'll generally all use a standard, standard uh, fork. fork. Yeah. And it's kind of like the poor fork, you know. Well, yeah. There's this custom frame and then you're just chucking a standard fork on it. One I've, fork I've always wondered why that's the case. Is it just because it's so, it would be so difficult to create your own fork otherwise? It's, it's, this comes down to the same thing. It's moulding and expense. So there are brands that have different fork rakes across their range, but they're fairly few and far between. But what it means for us is it's just not a price issue. It's, it's no extra cost. We just have uh, three different, three or four different fork crown, crowns uh, ready to print and print them as and when we need them, depending on demand for different fork rakes. And um, my, I mean, my wife is not, not crazy small. She's five foot five but actually to get a bike that it's rides yeah. okay for her you know i i remember at one point 3t were making a, a, a fork with a good fork rate but they decided to stop doing it for whatever reason and they only had five left globally so i just bought all five <laughs> and is she still riding them now uh she she she, she actually is she won't on her <laughs> next bike because they were rim and uh so that's no longer a thing but we did you know i think we used them all up we certainly maybe maybe windy miller still has a set but anyway you know the these are all the things that 3d printing is great for working around and then the other thing of course is how fickle the industry is especially with gravel you know no, nobody really knows where it's going to land i don't think it's going to land on any standards anytime soon and if you've got your monocoque frame it's a major consideration obviously to change something but with 3d printing we can be really reactive to I mean, I say market trends, credible market trends that people want. Um, you know, we, we can be very reactive. We can be right at the cutting edge of that. Yeah, and you can be there, you know, a lot, a lot, lot faster. So tell me a little bit more about the brains behind the operation. Obviously, we know about your your history with Wendy Miller uh, and go back to listen to the episode where we spoke to Henry. Um, I think it was November 2020. I think it was November 2020, actually, that we were speaking to you last time, if you want to hear a little bit more about Henry's history, but who else is there in this collective? Because I think there's some there's some pretty big names in the world of uh, cycling design and tech, isn't there? 
Yeah, there are, and I think you know, actually, there's a new one that, that's so new that that, that uh, we're still sort of uh, crossing T's and dotting I's. So I better not talk about that one. We again. can, if, um, if it's done by the time we release the podcast, I'll uh, I'll slip add it a in. bit on the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so started out with a, a friend of mine who's a creative engineer. I go, that, that's that's my word for somebody who 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 loves experimenting with inventor. new stuff. Inventor, Cycling inventor, almost. kind of, yeah, <laughs> sort of the equivalent of um, I think it's called a serial monogamist. Somebody who's addicted to the first three months of a relationship. So he's got a workshop that's just littered with projects that are sort of thirty percent done, forty percent done, and. Uh, it was really good fun working with him, and I, I went in with an open mind. I, I had the measure of him; he's a good friend of mine, and, and you know, it was really exciting. We played around with different types of lugs and 3D printing on desktop uh, printers, and making things that were made of cheese, making things that were a bit rubbery, which are definitely not things that you would associate with a nice, uh, robust bike frame. But it, it, that that was the seed of the idea, um, and then really through. The, the next thing was connections in F1. So we made bikes for some of the F1 teams or, or for the drivers with Windy Miller. And I should stress that there was never any technical collaboration. This was just making our bikes for those teams. Um, but it did put us on the radar of some of the composites companies in the UK that make frames for F1 teams. And we spoke to them, I spoke to them a lot through the Windy Miller years and we always wanted to do something together but we were always so busy with the day-to-day we never actually got around to it. So when we had one of our early 3D printed prototypes with lugs made of cheese, I decided to take it to see one of those guys. Um, Is that, I'm living in France now. Is that something I can get in the supermarket over there? <laughs> Sounds like a delicious lug, spe- yeah. speciality. Um, so anyway off I went to this sort of F1 Silicon Valley and uh, at this stage um, a friend of mine called Tim Allen was already in the mix uh, aka Swanier London he's sort of one of London's uh, top bike fitters I'm biased I would say the best bike fitter uh, but also deep into um, the cycle industry and trends and where things are going and he's our geometry designer so uh, Tim and I and some of the guys on the marketing side headed up there and um, they were really interested to get involved. Um, knew an expert in lug design uh, and introduced us to him and that was Demetrius Katsanis who um, of, of uh, most recent uh, Ghana Hour record fame. Yeah, but I mean we've, we've spoken about Demetrius Katsanis a lot on the podcast because of course he was... Uh, he played a big part in designing the the GB Cycling Hope Lotus track bike um, with Tony Pennell. Um, he's been part of the the Secret Squirrel Club at GB for many years. I'm not sure if he still still is. Um, and uh, he also designed the the Pinarello. I say the the new Pinarello. It's not a new Pinarello anymore, but the the old new Pinarello for the 2020-2021. Uh, Tokyo Olympic Games um, so yeah he's someone we someone we know well on the podcast um, for designing a lot of the kind of the big the big new exciting very expensive track bikes out there yeah that's right so I mean Demetrius actually at the last count I think he totted it up he's got over a hundred Tour de France wins gold medals and now you can just add one hour record two hour records actually because there was Dan Biggins one first to his name which is you know I think 
you could say that other organisations are maybe as well decorated, but I don't think one single individual has had such a profound impact on cycling as Demetrius has. Um, so a lot of the bikes that he's been involved with using 3D printing have been for federations. So no one had ever really looked at democratising that technology and getting it to a point where you could make a bike that's available Affordable. for anybody. Um, so that's really what we decided to do. Mm -hmm. And um, whilst Demetrius isn't our frame designer, uh, he is our 3D printing lead and um, he's very much part of the project. He's, he's on board with it, part of the collective. Uh, so we're very lucky, feel very honoured to have him as part of it. And it, it very definitely means we're not reinventing the wheel. So that, that, that was a, a big turning point for, for us. So he had always wanted to democratise something like this. Um, but rather like I was saying with Wendy Miller, when, when, when the guys from the composites companies were talking to me, you're so busy with the day to day, you don't get around to it. And we had already formed the seed of this collective. Uh, so Demetrius was, you know, I'd, I'd love to help you guys, you know, at least on the 3D printing side. Um, he was very resolute about the fact that he couldn't, you know, he, he designs frames for other people. So uh, we luckily already had our chief frame designer by then, a guy called John Hale. Just a quick reminder that we're in a busy brick lane, if you hadn't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> so you had your chief designer, uh, John Hale. Yeah, John Hale. Uh, and um, yeah, it really went onwards and upwards from there. And we were also very lucky in so much as uh, one of the bigger composites manufacturers here in the UK who, who makes components for five or six of the F1 teams um, and also... Uh, aerospace defense various bits and bobs like that were really keen to get their teeth into an exciting project that wasn't under nda because practically everything they do is under nda so they they can't shout about it and we were the opposite we wanted to you know form this collective of people that that you know all had a really strong skill set to bring to the party but we didn't want them to be suppliers we wanted everyone to be part of this collective uh, so we're very lucky that they decided to come on board too. So they're invested in the project. They're, you know, it's, it's a, the the, it's all uh, collective owned. Um, and I should stress that with this type of technology, there's just no way we could have done it if we hadn't uh, used the relationships we had as each as a new person joined the collective our the, the the network and relationships we had got stronger and stronger so because we're all part of it we're all giving to the collective at this stage to get to a point where we have our minimum viable product and i you know i couldn't put a number on it but we would be in so deep financially now if we are outsourcing and mm -hmm. actually paying market rate for that stuff it just wouldn't be possible and so i'm so grateful for the relationship and network that I was lucky enough to to get through Windy Miller and it really was the launch pad to this so there's so much value in that. Well it's not long now until we head off Busy Brick Lane into the tranquility of Real Air Live. Time for one more question um, and well what is there to stop somebody else copying your technology because it seems so easy and so well easy once you've got the knowledge of course and done all the research and so scalable that why couldn't uh, Specialized or Trek or Cannondale or whoever just pick this up and say right we're going to do it and then take over that share of the market so I think they can and I think they will and I think you know give it 10 years time and 
you know, all bikes will be 3D printed and you'll practically be able to 3D print them on your home printer. But what I also know by being uh, quite old now and quite long in the tooth is that you can have the best ideas and the best technology, but so much of it is about working out what that really means for the customer. How, how do we make this right for the customer? How do we create experiences that they can engage with that can enhance their adventure? And that part is so difficult and you need a great collective of people. And I couldn't have done this without being off the back of 10 years in the industry already and managing to put people that are so passionate about it and you can't fake that. And it's, it's really hard. As soon as companies get big, they always lose some of their soul. It's impossible not to. So we're lucky that we're at the beginning of this journey. So, you know, we're gonna have that in its droves. And it is early days. And I would say on top of all that, we do have an unfair advantage though. We have Demetrius and, and you know, he's <laughs> better- secret gold medal winning weapon. He's better than a patent. Yeah for sure well i think you've told us all that you can tell us um and so hopefully once we have the name and you've launched the product uh, we'll get you back on the podcast and you can uh, remind us all about it exactly that would be amazing and then you know we'll, we'll be able to tell you much more about the journey and how we got here and yeah very exciting you'll have an even larger collective of uh, cycling podcast listeners by that point i'm sure yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Who, who knows? Who are we going to find from this podcast that's going to join up? So Just contact Henry Furness. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton. Cycling podcast, team car. The back of the pack, please. That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, and this is Lionel here, again, to tell you that this episode of Service Course is also sponsored by NordVPN. Now, you'll be listening to the cycling podcast on your phone or tablet or a computer or laptop, no doubt. And I wonder how much thought you've given to your online security. I must admit, it's not something that I thought too much about a few years ago. um, But hearing about how easy it is for hackers to uh, steal data online, I began to worry about some of the connections that I was using in the course of my work, whether that's hotel Wi-Fi or the Wi-Fi in a race press room or just tethering my phone to my laptop. I was wondering how secure those connections were. And so I actually signed up for NordVPN before they began sponsoring the cycling podcast. And it gives me the peace of mind to carry on uh, wherever I am, at home or on the move. I suppose most of the stuff I'm doing online, not really a big concern, but something like logging on to the online bank and making payments, that kind of thing is something you want to be really sure is safe and secure. And so NordVPN, virtual private network, gives you the security to know that your data is not at risk from hackers. You can use NordVPN on up to six devices. It doesn't slow down your internet connection and there are all sorts of other advantages to it as well. And all Cycling Podcast listeners can get an exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com TCP. You'll get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus an additional month for free. And it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. So go to nordvpn.com slash tcp to get a huge discount off your nordvpn plan and surf the internet risk-free the cycling podcast is supported by science in sport science in sport fueled by science
Thanks as ever to Science in Sport for their continued support of all that we do here at The Cycling Podcast. And I personally would like to express my gratitude to Science in Sport for powering Simon and Lionel around Scotland on their Tour de Cos. And thankfully Simon and Lionel never suffered the dread of bonk along the way and they completed their mission So, yeah, thanks to Science in Sport. If you want to get 25% off your next order with Science in Sport, just go to scienceinsport.com and enter the offer code SISCP25. That's SISCP25. Well, there's a few things there. Firstly, there's the... I love Brick Lane. Was always a uh, back in the day. I was always at Brick Lane bikes because obviously you know I ride a fixie. But also Brick Lane, one of the best places on earth to get a bagel. To get a bagel. Well, I did yeah. go. I mean, I didn't realise that Ruler had an after party, so I did go and visit the Brick Lane bagel shop at three in the morning after Ruler. And I also didn't realise that the bagel shop was open 24 7. 24-7, that place. The other thing I was going to say is whenever you talk about people like Dimitri Katsalis and stuff, these guys that are in the shadows, yeah. I've actually got, um, coming up uh, sometime soon, I've actually been talking with one of the other figures who lurks in the shadows. Deep in cycling. the shadows. And he's a friend of Dimitri's. And um, it's, it is a fascinating interview. And again, it's on that sort of um, new materials revolution not evolution sort of tip so i'm excited to bring that I, that's the kind of thing that really gets me excited that stuff it's fascinating isn't it how the athletes get all of the glory because there is i mean obviously the athletes have to do the work but essentially all they have to all the athletes have to do is have the right physiology and the right mentality yeah, then there's everybody else but you know it's easy <laughs> you know the only reason i was successful because is because i'm absolutely pig-headed and so stubborn that i just will not give up and that's just you know that's just hardwired you know it's not you know it's nothing special it's just no. always been there um and you know you've got all these people behind coaches all these people in the, in the shadows you know the cat sanuses the 3d printers everybody you know making it work the secret secret squirrelers um, and they don't really get the glory, but they deserve it, don't they? Well, we're going to give them a little slice of the glory on this podcast. Well, after we've dealt with uh, giving Lionel a bit more glory, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get to this. Lizzie, listen, I'm going to let you go because you've got to pack your bag. You've probably got to do it. How do you get into America these days? Do you have to do a test before you go? No, it's pretty easy. Let, let anyone in, even Oh, me. brilliant. Even you. <laughs> Fantastic. Amazing. Well, listen, have a great camp. Uh, I hope it all goes well. I'm thrilled that you're actually... I'm thrilled that I can say Lizzie Banks and training camp in the same sentence that's, um, and, and riding awesome. a bike and yeah. riding a bike yeah, yeah. Um, but what, that's, that's awesome and um, well Lizzie well, hopefully not even hopefully it's going to happen I will see you in person in about exactly a month's time I hope so I hope so indeed The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore Daniel Freeb and Lionel Burney